John chapter 1. In fact, I'm going to start at the beginning because it's so good, but we'll, we'll be focusing on verses 4 and 5. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And then our two verses for this morning, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, that you are the word, and that you have given us your word that's living and active. It's the most powerful force. It's what the spirit of God uses to save and build up and lead and guide your people, Lord. So we thank you for your word this morning. God, even as together we come before you and your word, would, would you silence now our hearts and our minds? Jesus, I, I, think, of, I think of what you write... You've given us in Zephaniah 3.17 that you will quiet us with your love. Lord, I know um, we just received as a church a lot of information, and there may be questions, and um, we may be all over the map, Lord, in our emotions, but I ask that you would graciously quiet your people with your love, and that this would be uh, symbolic of who we are as a church, that together, no matter what we still ourselves, we quiet our mouths, and we listen to God speak through his word as our good shepherd who leads and guides and feeds us. So would you feed our souls now together? Holy Spirit, would, would you help us look to and behold the glory of Jesus, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world, Please show us more of the glory of Jesus this morning. And it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, there is no better place to together focus on the person and glory of Jesus. Uh, So we're going to learn three things about Jesus. We're going to get right into it. And the first thing from our text this morning that we learn about Jesus is this. Jesus is life. Jesus is life. As verse 4 says, in him was life. You know, there's not a person in this room who has not been affected by death. Uh, We have all tasted and experienced the effect of death. All of humanity lives under a cloud, a mist of death. And yet, Church, at the beginning of all things, there was not death, there was, there was life. And let me assure us that at the end of all things, there will be life. There will be life. You know, in the beginning was life because God is alive. He is life. In fact, at the, the core of all things are three living persons, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And everything that exists gets its life from God. But do you know what's amazing about God is he doesn't get his life 
from anything else. You know, in nature, only life begets life. Something can't be uh, just there and then, and then it's alive. In nature, life begets life. But, but life gets its life from God. Life is found in God. And, and, and we have, it's, it's even, it's amazing. You know, when, when our world tries to make sense of why and how everything exists, there is no answer. There's no answer to even what would have provided all of this primordial soup that would explode into life. We can't figure that out. It doesn't make sense. It goes against logic. But we, church, have the truth that life came from Jesus, that it came from God. In John 5, 26, Look what Jesus says. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Just God exists because he exists. Life, he is self-existent. Life comes from him. And when he created all things, and you and me, it was God's life overflowing, and he extended life to all things. And we see that climax in, in Genesis chapter 2 when God creates humanity. Look at these words. This is beautiful. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. We get our life from the breath of God, the ultimate living one. And yet within, within one chapter from this, the first people, Adam and Eve, abandoned the author of life. And we listen to the great lie of the serpent that true life is found apart from God. That true life is found in you know, not trusting what he says to do and not to do. True life is, is going our own way. And, and so from Genesis 3 on, we have, we have rejected as humanity the author of life. And as a result, death has entered into all that there is. Death has come through our rebellion. As we rejected the author of life, now we face death. Physical death, but not just physical death. We all face a spiritual death. Adam and Eve didn't just, you know, their bodies didn't just begin to decay in a real way. That relationship, that union with the author of life was broken. And they were cast out of the Garden of Eden. And now the Bible says that every person who has been born since them has been born in the state of spiritual death. Paul writes of this in Ephesians chapter 2. He says this in verse 1, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we are born, we are now born in the state of spiritual death. And yet... The author of life has compassion on those who would reject him. And so Jesus came. Life itself came, became a man to come and, and give us back this eternal life. 
But Jesus said in John eleven twenty five 25 to Martha, right after her brother died, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And then in 1 John, the same author writes this, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son, it's Jesus, has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, this life that Jesus re-gifts to us is, is not just a, it's not just a quality. It's not just eternal life as in, you know, you're not going to die anymore. You're going to live for a really long time. It's a quality of life because let's be honest, who would really want to live forever here in this broken place with the sin that reigns? Jesus gives a different kind of life back to us, life in him, eternal life, life in which there is no more sin or suffering or sorrow. Life in Jesus is found when we will be one day walking again with our creator. Life that is found, church, in his commandments. You know, one of the lies of the serpent is that God's commandments lead to death or less than life. And life is found outside of what the author of life has commanded us. And so he will do this to us every day. Don't, this book is burdensome, it's heavy, it doesn't lead to life. Go look elsewhere for life. But eternal life is knowing that, no, what the author of life has said is good. It is life. He is saying this way to live, this way to a true quality of life. Uh, I recently just came across the stories of two men uh, who existed, who lived like early 1900s, and they testify to the life found in Jesus. One was a pastor named H.A. Ironside. Uh, you maybe have heard of him. He was, he was up doing evangelism in San Francisco in the early 1900s, and he was a part of the Salvation Army. And so what they would do is they would get like this big old band together, and they'd be like marching through the streets, and then they'd be on some corner, and it would be a scene, and people would kind of be attracted, and then someone would, would teach. And so he was doing that one afternoon, and he, he noticed this man in the back of this crowd just kind of just like, you know, watching. He, he could tell he was... He was skeptical and he was observing it all. And at the end of this whole thing, the man comes up to him and in front of everybody publicly uh, challenges this pastor to a, a, a debate, a debate of, you know, atheism versus Christianity. And he kind of just calls him out and says, will you debate me? And um, the pastor says, you know, I will, I'll debate you on, on two conditions. You need to bring with you to this debate two people with you. You need to bring one who was down and out and whose life was falling apart. And when, when you shared with him the amazing news that there is no God, his life was radically changed and he was led to life and he got out of the gutter and he's been thriving ever since. He says, I need you to bring someone like that. And I also need you to bring someone whose life has been you know, perfect and he has everything or she has everything that they've ever needed. 
But when, but when they heard that there's no God, they realized that their life, though it was good, was, wasn't complete until they heard this news. And, and now they're fully devoted to sharing the gospel that there is no God. He said, if you can bring those two people, I will debate you. And, and the man's kind of stunned. And, and then he turns, the pastor turns to the crowd and says, and do you know what? I will bring with you a hundred people who can tell you from every walk of life that when they found Jesus, their lives were changed and they have been living true life. And the whole crowd is like, ah, oh, like they're losing their mind. And the man says, fair enough, uh, you know, and he walked out of the debate and the debate never happened. And this pastor said this, our gospel proves itself by what it accomplishes as redeemed people from every walk of life, delivered from every type of sin, prove the regenerating and keeping power of Christ of whom the Bible speaks. The life that is in Christ proves itself as people such as us have found true life in him. And then the other man I, I recently read of, he's lesser known. He was a theologian named Arthur Pink. And uh, he grew up in a Christian home, but he, late in his teen years, walked away from the Lord and got heavily involved in witchcraft. And at that time, it was known as spiritism and theosophy. And he quick, he was a brilliant guy and he quickly rose to like the ranks, the high in the ranks of these organizations. And he would give lectures on the occult and how to speak to the dead. And um, yet his parents were still Christians and they, they were patient with him and they even allowed him to continue to live. He was early in his twenties. He was living at home. And uh, one of the things that his dad did was whenever he would come home for the night, his dad would always stay up and his dad would tell him, son, I love you. And then he would give him a scripture. And it was different every night. And this was just one of the things the son, like, you know, puts up with. And so one night he comes home and his dad says, son, I love you. And I want you to know. And then he quotes to him, Proverbs fourteen twelve, There is a way which seems right unto a man, but its end is the way of death. And then, love you, son, good night. And so his son's like, oh my gosh, my dad. And he goes to his room and he sits down and he, he's trying to prepare his next lecture that he's gonna give at this theosophy gathering. And he, he testifies that he could not concentrate and all that was running through his head were those words of scripture. There is a way which seems right unto a man, but its end is the way of death. And he couldn't concentrate and he thinks, oh man, let me, let me just take a bath. Let me relax and try and get this out of my head. And he takes a bath and these words, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but its end is the way of death. It just it was running through his mind and he couldn't get his head straight and it led him to three days of this like intense wrestling and he did not leave his room for three days as he's just wrestling and could not get this out of his head. And on the third day, as his parents were praying for him, he comes out and he gives his life to Jesus and he surrenders his life and prays with his dad. And, and then he, he went on to give his last lecture at the Theosophy Society where he testified, guys, there is not life here. There is life found in Christ. And he later wrote of this, he said this, why did I leave spiritism and theosophy? Because it failed to satisfy my soul. I was trying to save myself, but there was no peace 
for a burdened conscience, no assurance of sins forgiven, no power of sin broken, no satisfaction of the heart. He went on to say, I know there's only life in Jesus Christ. As verse four of our text testifies, in him is life. The second thing we see of Jesus in our text is this, that Jesus is light. Jesus is light. You know, there's this almost strange juxtaposition where it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is interesting juxtaposition of life and light. Now, it's interesting to know uh, that in nature, life and light nearly always go together. They nearly are always found together. And when Jesus uses this metaphor, I am light, it's a loaded metaphor. What he is saying of his own nature is incredible. Look what Jesus testifies of himself in John chapter 8. He says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And again, if you study, uh, if, you're, if you're into science, um, all the energy, nearly all of the energy on our planet comes from the light of the sun. God made these amazing uh, living organisms that are, are plants that can absorb light and turn it into energy, and that then fuels every other living organism. Another thing about light is it illumines everything. We could not live or move or see or know where we are going apart from light. Another thing about light is it is not diminished. If, if light shines and nothing like stands in its way, it will literally go on for eternity. As far as the universe is, light just continues. And that speaks to the nature of God. When God creates all things and he does all that he does, he is not diminished. He is not exhausted. He just continues to go on. If, if you know this, we're getting kind of deep into science here. Light is one of the few constants in nature. The speed of light remains the same in a vacuum. It's one of the few things that are reliable that will always happen in nature. Another thing, light represents truth and goodness. Look what James writes about God. James chapter one, every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is just light. He doesn't change. There's no like backside to God that if you really saw him in this angle, you, he wouldn't be the same anymore. He is simply who he is. He is light. First John 1, 5 says, I think we have it. This is a message we heard and from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Another way the Bible refers to that is God is holy. He is holy. Now, when our first parents, Adam and Eve, walked away from the author of life, it wasn't just death that entered creation and humanity, but also spiritual darkness and blindness fell upon humanity. And at that moment, at the fall, the bright, shining light of God and the knowledge of who he is, it grew dim to humanity. 
It's not because the light changed, but because our eyes changed. We began to go blind. You know, it's often said when, when people try to understand the Bible, you know what, it's just confusing. It doesn't make sense. Is it really out? Is it really objectively true? How can you know? Maybe it's just a collection of people kind of stumbling about and this is all of their opinions about God. No, this book is crystal clear and it's light. The problem is with our eyes. This book is objectively true. Truth is out there and it is, it is knowable as light. God's word is knowable and true. The problem is with our own eyes. We have been darkened. It's confusing to us. Paul writes of this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18. Of all humanity, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. You know, there's an interesting insight into this. Oftentimes when people have objections to the knowledge of God and the truths of God and the word of God, it's not actually... Um, the, the truth they're having a problem with, it's that their hearts are hard. It's that they want, we want our sin more than God. Romans 1 says, we want our sin and therefore we have given up the knowledge of God. We grow dim in our understanding because our hearts love the darkness. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it, it teaches us that not only are we, are we uh, dimmed in our understanding that we have an enemy, who is actively seeking to blind and, and stop the knowledge of God to getting to humanity. This is what it says of Satan. In their case, the God, lowercase g, of, that's Satan, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. God's light has never ceased to shine. His truth never ceases to shine. However, we as humanity have been blinded by our sin and by Satan himself. And so it, it's, it's important to ask, well, what hope is there for spiritually blind people? Which is why John then goes on to write in verse five, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the third thing we learn of Jesus is this. Jesus has overcome the darkness. Amen? Jesus has overcome the darkness. You know, one, uh, God's word is incredible. One way this is foreshadowed is in the first four verses of the Bible. I want you to listen to this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, hear this, and darkness was over the face of the deep. You hear that? God created everything, yet there was darkness. It was just dark creation. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. Do you know why God has allowed darkness to be? So he can invade it with his glorious light. God has allowed from, from the first day of creation to 2019 in Carpinteria, God allows darkness to exist 
so he can invade it with his glorious light. 2,000 years ago, this light, the light of the world, Jesus Christ came. And he, sh- he, he was shining forth and healing people and was feeding people and was nothing but goodness and light. And yet, darkened humanity decided to crucify this light of the world. And Jesus hung there, the light of the world. And the moment came when the light went out. Jesus breathed his last breath. Says even literally the heavens went dark. Some kind of eclipse or something happened. And I imagine that the kingdom of darkness was celebrating what appeared to be its greatest victory. We have put out the light of the world. But, but we know the story. Three days later, in a dark, cold tomb, light exploded forth. And the light of the world was shining again. You know, darkness can, it's a, it's, it's, we, we take our view of the universe from, from other world views that aren't faithful to scriptures. The reality is not like a good versus evil situation. We are not in like a epic battle between good and evil. If you know anything about light and darkness, it's not a competition. Darkness cannot intimidate light. All darkness is, is the absence of light. And the moment even the faintest light appears, darkness has to leave. It literally by nature has to flee. And so God, who spoke light into all creation, does this to human hearts. Look what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The same God who could create the universe can save darkened souls. He is not intimidated by darkness. Verse 5 says, the light simply shines in the darkness and the darkness has not cannot, will not overcome it. Now, there's, there's a few practical ways this applies to us Christians. And the first is this. Those who love and follow Jesus love to walk in the light. We love to walk in the light. You know, one of the, one of the tests of am I saved, am I a Christian, is this. Am I willing to bring my own sin into the light? Am I willing to go towards the light? Or, or do I react like Adam and Eve and I just run and hide and cover myself in my own shame? I just cover and hide from God. You see, in the gospel, Jesus, the light of the world, came. And he took on the darkness. He even took on all the wrath of your and my sin upon his own shoulders so that whoever would trust in him would no longer bear the penalty of their sin, would no longer bear the shame for their sin. We would be completely forgiven, which means that we don't need to run to the darkness anymore when we are struggling with our sin. 
We don't need to go hide from God or hide from others because we have been covered by the blood of Jesus. Look at a few verses that speak to what has happened to you in salvation. Colossians 1.13, he has delivered us. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. John 12, 46, I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In 1 John 1, 6 and 7, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. You know, one of the beautiful things of the church is that we have fellowship as sinners. Like, like you know my sin, I know your sin, and we have fellowship because together the blood of Jesus has cleansed us. We are a community that is safe to bring our baggage out of the darkness into the light because Jesus has covered us from all our sin. I just want to say this. If you call yourself a Christian, yet you are hiding sin right now in your life, you're you're keeping it in the dark. Let me just call you out of the darkness. Say, come out of the darkness. Come into the light. Repent and confess your hidden sin. Let me just tell you that truly it is so miserable in the dark. We all know that. We remember what it's like. And there is life and light as we confess our sin, bring it out of the darkness and give it up to Jesus, where the blood of Jesus cleanses us and we experience fellowship as fellow sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We, we are a place where we can bring our sin out of darkness into the light. If you have never done that, if you are just in darkness, If you are in your sin, let me assure you that there is life and light available to you, that this morning you can come forth and put your trust in Jesus, turn from your sin, come to Jesus, and the blood of Jesus will cleanse you from sin and you will experience true life in the light. The second practical thing is this, church, the light is to be shared, Light by nature, Jesus says, you don't hide it under your bed. You don't hide it under a basket or a bushel. Light is to shine forth. In Matthew 5, Jesus then says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, light biblically is connected with knowledge, knowledge of Jesus, the knowledge of the gospel. Church, there is no other way for people to be saved apart from the knowledge of the light, the gospel of Jesus. There's no other way. There is no other way. That light has to be shared with the darkness. And we have that light. This, this morning, as we look at Jesus together and are reminded of who he is and what he's done, we have that light and we are called to share it, to give it to others. You know, this, it just hit me last night. In our community, as far as I know, there is not a single gospel proclaiming church in the Hispanic community, in Carpinteria, here, right now. There's just darkness. 
There's darkness. And here we are as the people of God. And we, we talk about our call to the nations and the unreached. And church, I just, it grieves my heart to think about it. There are literally people 30 seconds from us who do not have light shining forth. Let's pray about that. And, and church, there are entire people groups, as you know, nations who have no light. That we would be a church that, that doesn't want to hoard our light, that comes and worships Jesus and then surrenders our, our lives. Jesus, how can I go share this light? Help me, Jesus, be faithful to share this light. Help us not hoard it and hide it. And the third, the third thing I want to encourage us in practically this morning is this. There is no darkness in your own heart and life and past that cannot be overcome by light. There is, there is no darkness that is more powerful than the light of Jesus. There's, there's no power. Jesus is light and he shines and the darkness cannot overcome it. There's real hope for our own often despairing hearts and, and light is found Hope is found in Jesus. Again, this morning, if you've never experienced that eternal hope, this morning, there is hope for you in Jesus. There is true life for you. And church, we know that in this life, we, we will struggle. And darkness is lurking all around. And, and often it feels like there is no light. But I want to I close and, and remind us and encourage us. Um, I, want, I, want, I want us to see it this way. This is, this is amazing. This is uh, John and the Holy Spirit are geniuses. Look at, look at um, in, verse, in verse one through four, every verb is in the past tense. Okay, in the beginning was the word and the word was God. The word was with God and was God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him. Verse four, in him was life and the life was, was the light of men. These are like past tense truths to anchor us into eternity past. But look what happens in verse five. This is amazing. All of these wases and then it says, the light shines in the darkness. That's the first present tense verb in this book. The light shines. Not it shined 2,000 years ago. Not it shined in creation. It shines. Jesus, the light of the world, is still shining. The light that created all other light is still shining. The light that led the people of God through the wilderness is still shining. For 2,000 years, these words have gone into the dark world like light. And Jesus, right now, is still shining. We can be sure of it, church, that the light will continue to shine until he returns and we will see him face to face. <clears throat> we can be assured of this, church. There is hope for the world because the light shines and will continue to shine. 
I want to close just looking at two verses out of the end of the story in Revelation chapter 21. In fact, if you can turn there, if you have a Bible, let's turn to Revelation 21 together. Verse 22. Revelation 21, verse 22. This is after Jesus has returned. He's created a new heaven and a new earth. He's brought his bride out of heaven as the city, the new Jerusalem. And then look at, this is our future together. Revelation 21, verse 22 and 23 says this. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. And its light and its lamp is the lamb. Church, our lamp is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, we thank you that you are our light. We thank you that you are our hope. We thank you, Jesus, that you are not intimidated by darkness. You simply shine on, you shine forth Jesus, we thank you for the light that you have given us in your word and in the gospel. We thank you that you have saved us. Holy Spirit, I just plead with you to shine your light in in the areas where our own hearts need it. Lord, if you are calling some of us out of darkness for the first time to come to know Jesus, would you do that? Would you shine forth? You are fully able to save. Lord, for those of us who are hiding in darkness, Would you call us back to yourself, to the light? Give us that freedom that comes in the light, in walking in the light. Jesus, thank you that in you is true life and joy and satisfaction. Where else would we go, Jesus? Who else would satisfy our soul? Who else would lay down their life to give us true life for eternity? We thank you for your spirit that is in us, this fountain of life overflowing in us. And Lord, I ask now that together we we would worship you as the light of the world and the true life of the world, that we would fix our gaze on you, Jesus, again, as this is a new season for our church um, and, and our hearts and minds may be all over the place. Lord, I ask that you would, you would quiet our hearts and minds with your love and that, Holy Spirit, you would fix all of our attention onto Jesus. Jesus, you have simply been from all eternity and you will continue to be. You are the one constant God. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We thank you, Lord, for our story and what you are doing in us and through us. Um, And I thank you, Lord, that we are simply but a small, small part of your greater story in all of the nations, throughout all of history. 
thank you that we exist to know Jesus and worship Jesus. And as we do that, we find true life. Holy Spirit, unify us now around Jesus. Allow us to worship you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of our hope is in you.